Good evening. Welcome to Underfunded Public Radio. I am Carl Carlton Carlson, and thank you for joining me and my colleagues as we continue our series about 20th and 21st century genocides. Today, the Rwandan genocide and its comparison to the Holocaust. We will continue after your local news updates. Thank you, Carl. Lieutenant McGee here to bring you up to date on your local Bone New Hampshire news. It's Bow, New Hampshire, so pretty much nothing notable has occurred besides for Mrs. Johnson's cat getting stuck in a tree. The weather is looking grim for the upcoming week, with thunderstorms on the horizon for each of the following seven days. In sports, the Red Sox beat the Mariners 11-2 in yet another blowout. The Red Sox face the Rockies tomorrow at 7.10 p.m. Back to you, Garl. Thank you, Nutella. Now to the Rwandan Genocide. Occurring in 1994 and spanning just 100 days, the Rwandan Genocide was a short but very deadly genocide, totaling around 800,000 casualties. The genocide took place in Rwanda, a small country tucked in Central Africa with an economy dependent on its agriculture. The two main groups involved were Rwanda's two major ethnic groups, the Hutus and the Tutsis. The genocide took place only in the country, and mainly inside the capital city of Kigali. This is unlike the Holocaust, which happened throughout many European countries taken over by Germany in the 1940s. Prior to the genocide, there was much tension between the Hutus and the Tutsis. While Rwanda was under colonial rule by Belgium, the minority Tutsis were favored over the majority Hutus. A Hutu revolution in 1959 drove many Tutsis, including the monarch, out of the country and gained Rwanda its state as an independent nation. Tensions escalated even more when a civil war broke out in 1990 where forces of Tutsis called the Rwandese Patriotic Front invaded the country from neighboring Tanzania. A peace treaty was signed in 1992 and the president signed an agreement in 1993 that called for a new government, including the RPF, to be created. This greatly angered Hutu extremists and acted as the switch that had to be flipped to spark a revolt. The events in Rwanda closely mirror those that occurred in Germany during the early 30s, as in both there were two ethnic groups and one felt an overwhelming need for power that was fueled by anger. These needs for power were strong enough to the point where in both cases the groups in power escalated their actions to the point of mass extermination. As well as ethnic tensions, both Germany and Rwanda suffered from economic problems leading up to and during their respective genocides. Germany's economy was very poor coming out of World War I and was further crippled by the Treaty of Versailles. As for Rwanda, the country's gross domestic product dropped by 54% in 1994. In both countries, economic conditions were poor and had factors in the events that occurred later. The political climate in Rwanda was growing hotter as the civil war stirred up and died down and was also influenced by the president calling for the creation of a new government that granted Tutsi groups power. Political tensions were finally pushed over the edge when a plane carrying the Rwandan president was shot down over the capital city of Kigali. Within hours of the attack, mass killings began to take place in the capital. These stirred up political tensions are similar to those that took place in Germany up until Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party took over the nation. Though the genocide was well-publicized worldwide, United States' involvement in and after the Rwandan genocide was absolutely minimal. Unlike in World War II, when the United States entered late in the war and helped in ultimately defeating Germany and liberating those who were still left in the concentration camps from the Holocaust.
During the Rwandan genocide, the United States tried hard to avoid involvement, including taking measures such as calling the genocide a massacre in order to downplay the magnitude of the event. President Clinton and his administration thought it was not their place to intervene in the genocide because the country had no involvement with Rwanda. Now here to inform us more about the genocide is Professor Rajesh Agarwal from the University of Virginia Department of Genocidal Studies. Thank you for joining us today, Professor. Yes, thank you for having me today. So as you already went over, Carl, there was much political and ethnic tension leading up to the ultimate spark, the shooting down of the Rwandan president's plane on April 6, 1994. Separation is the first stage of genocide, and leading up to the events in Rwanda, its citizens were already separated into two main ethnicities, the Hutus and the Tutsis. During the genocide of the extremist Hutus aimed their attack on all Tutsis and moderate Hutus. This separation is very similar to how Germany was separated into the Jews and the Aryans in the events leading up to the Holocaust. In Rwanda, special lists of names were created as a type of hit list to be used. These lists were very detailed, including names, addresses, and even license plates. Identification cards would use this symbolism as every citizen of Rwanda had one and they identified the ethnicity of the citizen. These cards served as a similar purpose in Rwanda as the Yellow Star of David served in Germany. In efforts to dehumanize the Tutsis, Hutu extremists created a special radio station. This station broadcasted hate speech, including calling the Tutsis cockroaches that should be exterminated, and it even encouraged Rwandans to go out and kill their Tutsi neighbors. This use of hate speech and propaganda closely mirrors what Adolf Hitler used to arouse his German followers. The organization for killing was very cruel, quicker, and less organized than the concentration camps. Hutus and the government created Hitlers and handed them out to local militias, basically making others do the dirty work. Roadblocks were also created where people would constantly be stopped and checked using the identification card. If a Tutsi was found, they could be instantly killed on the spot. Polarization in Rwanda occurred through the use of propaganda and the radio. As I stated above, the radio was used for hate speech, and it was also suggested that the Tutsis were responsible for shooting down the plane carrying the president. Propaganda in newspapers also circulated through the country, similar to propaganda in Germany during the Holocaust. Preparation included the roadblocks put up by the government and the list of Tutsis distributed by the government. Unlike during the Holocaust, killing in Rwanda wasn't planned and made to be efficient like it was in the gas chambers. Instead, militants manning roadblocks would slaughter Tutsis that they pulled over. Militias would kill people to cross off names on their hit list. Even neighbors and family would kill each other if one was Tutsi respected to have ties to Tutsi. Killing was often done using machete, which was common in Rwandan households. When judgment came and the genocide was halted, Hutus started fleeing to other countries, leaving their mess behind. During the genocide, they took simple measures such as covering the bodies lying on the side of the street so as to prevent them from being pictured from above. Before I wrap up, I would also like to bring attention to a very important man. Paul Rusesa Borgina was a Hutu who owned a Rwandan luxury hotel. During the genocide, he protected over 1,000 Hutus and Tutsis, including his own family. He traded his own luxury items to buy the lives of refugees and worked tirelessly to try and stop the madness. Incredibly, nobody whom he sheltered or died during the genocide. He has since started his own organization and received many awards for his work. Thank you for your insight and explanation, Professor Agarwal. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you can join us tomorrow as we discuss the Bosnian genocide. For underfunded public radio, I'm Carl Carlton Carlson, and I'll see you next time.